This is Shifting Our Schools episode 101, when project-based learning is just what you do. Really view them as my kids, our kids. So we'll sit and talk, be like, okay, what does this kid need in this moment? And we'll sit and figure out how to best support that kid as a team. And that's one of the my favorite things, actually, about our schedule, about our school, is that at the end of the day, everybody on that staff is about the kids. We're there mm. to support kids. Listen up, educators. Are you looking to take your classroom to the next level? The technological shift in education is happening right now. If you're looking to integrate technology into your classroom, you're in the right place. Welcome to Shifting Our Schools with your host, Jeff Udick. Well, welcome back to another episode of Shifting Our Schools. Thank you for listening and subscribing to us in your favorite podcast player. If you aren't subscribed to us, You can do that now. Just search for Shifting Our Schools and then go ahead and click the subscribe button in your favorite podcast player and you'll be all good to go and not miss a single episode here at Shifting Our Schools. You can also find us on Spotify and on your Amazon Echo. Just ask your Echo to play the latest episode of Shifting Our Schools. We really do appreciate all of you who continue to spread the word about Shifting Our Schools. We know that we get more listeners through word of mouth inside schools, in staff lounges than any other single avenue. So thank you for being part of our community. This month, our free giveaway is a copy of the book Classroom Management in a Digital Age by Patrick Green and Heather Dowd. For the entire month of November, we're going to be asking you to leave us your thoughts on different questions and ideas on our Shifting Our Schools Flipgrid. At the end of the month, we'll put all the names into a hat and we'll choose one person to get a free copy of the book Classroom Management in the digital age. And remember, the more responses you leave, the more times your name gets put into the hat. And not one single person has left a response yet. So your chances of winning are getting pretty good. You can leave us your Flipgrid responses by going to sospodcast.org and clicking on Flipgrid at the top or using the Flipgrid code SOS podcast. So if you download the app to your phone, you can just download the Flipgrid app and then type in the code SOS podcast, all one word into uh, the app and it'll show, bring you right to our Flipgrid account where you can leave your responses there. In fact, this week, our question is going to be asking you that uh, maybe you want to do this on your phone. So this week, our guest talks all about project-based learning, as well as flexible seating and a host of tools she uses in her classroom. So this week, I have two different responses that you can do to enter to win the book. And if you want to, you can do both responses and get your name in twice. So here's the question. Question number one, what are your top three go-to tools to use with students in your classroom? You're going to hear a lot today in this episode, and I'd really like to hear from you. What are your top three go-to tools to use with students in your classroom? Or, 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 and... Either way you want to do this. If you use flexible seating in your classroom, can you take us on a tour of your classroom? Today's guest did just that for you, and you can see her video in the show notes below. I've put a link to a video that you can watch so that you can see how another teacher has set up flexible seating in her sixth grade ELA classroom. And what I'm going to ask you to do is, will you take us on a tour of your classrooms? There don't need to be students around. You can do this before or after school if you'd like, but you might want to just on your phone, download the Flipgrid app, type in SOS podcast, 
And then you can literally open up your phone and start recording and just take us on a tour. Walk us around your classroom. If you use flexible seating, I'd love to see how you set it up. And if you want to, make sure you check out the show notes below or head over to sospodcast.org where you'll find the video there as well on this episode. It's so great when teachers share and learn from each other. That's why I love making this podcast. This is how we all grow, by sharing our classrooms, our setups, our structures, the way we, we, we interact with students. I hope to see more classrooms on our Flipgrid soon uh, for others to view and see how you set up your flexible seating space. So remember, you can either ask, answer the question, what are your top three tools that you use with students, or take us on a tour of your classroom if you use flexible seating and show other teachers how you can set up your classroom in a flexible seating way. This week, Chris Butler and I have a chat with Kenzie Munn, who teaches sixth grade here in Washington State. What I love most about this episode is Kenzie's energy and passion. I work with a lot of teachers, and I can't tell you how sad it is when I talk to teachers who have only been teaching for a few years and have already feeling beaten down by the educational system. It is so refreshing to talk and learn from a young teacher who is passionate about her students, her classroom, and the art of teaching. You are going to enjoy this one, and there are so many nuggets to take away, you might want to listen twice. And with that, on with the show. Welcome back to another episode of Shifting Our Schools. Uh, Thank you for joining us this week. So excited to have McKinsey here from Richland School District, which as we were talking before we started recording, it's also the school district of my goddaughters, uh, which is great. And Chris is here tonight. And Chris used to work in Richland School District, which is I'm sure we'll hear more about uh, Chris and McKinsey's journey together as well. But Chris, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Good. Um, Yeah. So Good, good day at school. Good day at school. So today was spent mostly in the office. We have a um, secondary day off of school for its kids, but it's a secondary PD day. Okay. Um, so I was asked to go to a couple different schools throughout the day tomorrow to lead some sessions. So I'm doing one um, session that's focused mainly on Google um, Google Forms and kind of the magic that can happen with Google Forms. So we're going to cool. talk about how to create quizzes, how to do some differentiation pieces with the, the ability to, based on a, how they answer a specific question, they can go to another section, that sort of thing, add, awesome. some, add some support in there with videos. And, um, and then we're going to do, we're going to end with uh, the thing that we talked about on our last recording, the three P's. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think the teachers go through that. So I'm um, looking forward to it. It'll be fun. So I put all that together today. We're ready to rock and roll. Awesome. Sounds good. Mackenzie, thank you for joining us uh, this evening. Appreciate you uh, taking time out of your busy schedule, I know, to, uh, to have a chat with us. So uh, we'll let you introduce yourself, kind of tell us your journey into uh, education, why you decided to be a teacher. So my name is Kenzie. Uh, my story is actually kind of long. I was a business major in college and marketing focused, and I was two and a half years in. Uh, and I was nannying at the time for a principal and she reached out to me and she said, Hey, Ken's, we are short volunteers for this event. Can you come help out? And I said, cool. sure, of course, <laughs> uh, boss asked you to do something. So you go. And I, I showed up at the school and I was volunteering at this math game that they had, uh, for the kids during recess and they could come in and earn points and all these different stuff they had set up. 
And I remember watching this kiddo and he was really struggling with this game and you could see how frustrated he was. And I watched him for a few minutes and I realized that after he answered the first couple questions, he'd get the hang of it and he'd get really fast. But by the time he got in the swing of things, the timer ran out. And so he'd get super frustrated because he'd only answer four questions and he needed six or whatever happened every single time. Yeah. So I was like, here, dude, hold it up the time, give it back to him. And within five minutes, you could see that light bulb moment, that aha cool. moment, just like, and this kid was ridiculously happy. And I realized that that moment was more satisfying and more rewarding for me than presenting in front of 125 investors. So I switched majors. <laughs> <laughs> so I switched majors. <laughs> I love that. I love how we all have a different way of getting into education. You know, we, I think we all have moments like that, that we can look back on and be like, yep, that's the moment. Yeah. yeah. And we were talking before, this is your fourth year teaching? This is, yeah. Uh, all four years in sixth grade? No, actually. I started in elementary, started okay. third grade, and then got displaced because I was the lowest on the totem pole. And sure. so I got fifth grade, loved fifth grade, but Libby had just opened up the school that I'm at right now. And it was a STEAM school. And I was really obsessed with STEM. I wanted to do more with that. So I moved to middle school, so I taught sixth grade English. And I'm loving it so far. It's been great. This is my second year there. Cool. And we got to, Mackenzie, we got to uh, work together last year. Um, so in, in the Richland School District, the instructional coaches had a cohort of what we called um, lighthouse teachers. Hmm. Um, so teachers that an instructional coach would, worked closely with and got to be in their classes and get to know their kids and uh, work with them throughout the school year. So, and you were one of my lighthouse teachers. Um, so I got to come in with your, with your kids and they were awesome. Cool. It was so much fun to be there. Um, and, uh, it, it was really cool to see a newer teacher, well, you know, third year in, right. Um, but you had such a presence in class and the way that you worked with your kids and the way that they responded to your, just who you are and the way that you kind of, um, did everything that you did in class. It was really, it was really cool to work with you in your class. So we'll talk about some of that a little bit tonight. Um, I really want to talk about the fact that you're teaching in a STEAM school, the first STEAM school in the district and kind of what that's all about. And so, yeah. 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 So talk a little bit about that. What's it? So talk, first of all, can you explain the difference between say working at a STEAM school and working at a regular middle school? Like what do you, what do you see as being the difference? is that we're just all being intentional with our mm. cross we're all trying to bring in that cross-curricular project-based learning in everything we do we also have a lot of really cool electives for kids we have a computer science course that is actually equal to a high school credit we have robotics and makerspace our librarian has really taken on the makerspace so the kids can go in and do 3d printing during lunch and things like that and so Besides the fact that we have all these awesome electives in our classrooms and in our core classes, we're really trying to be more cross-curricular. So for example, down the hallway today, ancient civilizations for history, sixth grade was using VR to um, explore some of the pyramids from each ancient Egypt. And then in my classroom, they're recording podcasts, this project, and they're doing stop motion videos in the spring. And so we're just constantly trying to bring in that cross-curricular with everything that we do. Science has done a lot of really cool stuff where they're bringing in a lot of um, writing into the science. And so the kids actually have to make articles and things like that. And they have to make visual models and digital models. And just everything we do, we try to be really cross-curricular and bring that intentionality back into what we do. Mm. So... 
Talk a little bit uh, then about how you set up these project-based learning experiences for students. Is there a lot of, are you and the other teachers really, do you really have to, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I guess like uh, co-create units together or are you still very siloed in your meeting your own standards or how's that work? We do a lot together. Um, we use this summit learning program platform, uh, which is third year at Libby. So we're still working out a lot of the kinks, but the cool part about that is that there's a lot of cross-curricular rubrics that go into it. And so I'm using the rubric inferencing and science using the exact same rubric and history using the exact same rubric. So we can be cross-curricular with everything we do just because our rubrics are the same. Yeah. But at the time we'll sit down as a department and say okay what are you doing here what are you doing here how can we mix our kids how can we support each other so we do a lot of that co-planning together our team's pretty good about that so mm -hmm. always can improve always can get better but pretty good Kenzie can you talk a little bit more about the summit platform just for people that aren't familiar with that what that's all about and yeah, so what it looks platform is a lot, but um, it's all about teaching habits of success to these kids and teaching them study skills and bringing in more of that self-paced model into instruction. So we, they took the common core standards and made these cognitive skill rubrics in um, alliance with the Stanford University who helped them out with that. And the great thing about that is it brings all of the NGSS standards, the C3 social studies standards, and the common core standards all together into the same rubric. So we have these cross-curricular rubrics. We're able to really hit multiple subjects with the same thing. We bring in the self-paced model because kids can work ahead in different aspects of the platform. Um, then they work together on collaborative projects in our classroom. And there's also this amazing mentoring piece of it where each kid has a mentor that they meet with every other week. They set academic goals and personal goals. And we're all about how can we make you into a successful human? How can we mm. teach you skills that you need to be successful with any degree that you go into or any career that you go into. Yeah, I love that. I've been uh, a lot about what I've been talking about with teachers is this idea of if the skills we are teaching kids are not transferable to something outside of our classroom or our school, then why the heck are we teaching them? You know, so that idea to have a, a mentor that is constantly helping students to a, a focus, but B, C, I mean, kids need need adults to say, here is how this skill is going to help you. Here's jobs that this, that this skill is going to be used for. Uh, I love that. Are you guys, do you guys, other than cross-curricular, do you all, are you also across grade levels or sixth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade, seventh grade, or are kids allowed to mix across grade levels as well? Um, it's pretty isolated except for math. Math, they get to work ahead a lot. Okay. And so we have in the sixth grade math class that are at all different levels. So their core instruction is all sixth grade standards, but then that self-paced piece of the platform, they're placed at their level based on test scores, based on teacher evidence. So we've okay. got kiddos that are all in the same classroom. Some of them are taking pre-algebra courses and some of them are taking six math courses all working together. So oh, that's cool. We um, do a lot of cross-grade cross level collaboration though. Like yeah, my eighth okay. is coming down this week or next week, excuse me, to do presentations to my sixth graders and they're going to do lit circle discussions and things like that. So the teachers are making those connections happen. It's not necessarily curriculum or platform. It's just teachers doing that. And what does your school day look like? Like, is it still the standard 50 minute? No, our schedule is very strange. <laughs> it's very confusing. <laughs> so Mondays and Fridays, we see all of our kids. So it's one through six. Okay. Uh, Fridays, we also have early release. So Monday, we have 55-minute classes. Fridays, I think they're 45-minute classes because we get an hour early release. 
Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursdays, we only have four classes. They're 80 minute blocks. Mm. And then we also have an advisory period built in. So for example, 30 minutes. Okay. Yeah. So we have first hour, second hour on Tuesday, and then we have a lunch and a advisory or B lunch and B advisory. They split flop and then third hour, fourth hour. And then Wednesday morning, we start at six advisory lunch again. And then we start over again with one, two, and then three, four, five, six on Thursdays. Hmm. Uh, so the blocks are 80 minutes during the middle of the week. And we call those project days. So that's the day oh, when we're doing cool. more extended time, cross-curricular stuff, projects. Uh, the kids are doing lit circles in my classroom a lot, sporadic seminars, things like that. Um, and I get a lot of differentiation during that time because I can pull groups to do rotations and things like that. Mondays and Fridays are more of our self-directed learning time. So the kids are setting goals on what they want to work on. And I'm meeting with different kids and making sure they're getting everything they need to be successful. Very cool. I love schools that are looking at different ways of doing that. It was really cool. And one thing, having been in that school, so I was an instructional coach in that school for a semester and then um, worked with Kenzie the year after that. One thing that's really cool about that schedule is on those Mondays and Fridays, and it happens every other day, but those Mondays and Fridays, um, if a mentor needs to pull a kid in to give them some extra support, the teachers work together and they can do mm-hmm. that. And it's, cool. it's just part of, part of what's built into the school. It's a really cool support system for all the kids. Very cool. Yeah. I will say our teams work so well together on that. We don't really view them as my kids, our kids. So we'll sit and talk like, okay, hey, what does this kid need in this moment? And we'll sit and figure out how to best support that kid as a team. And that's one of the, my favorite things actually about our schedule, about our school is that at the end of the day, everybody on that staff is about the kids. We're there mm. to support kids and so that advisory block is great because we do our curriculum strong curriculum uh, or character strong excuse me curriculum and then we're also bringing in stem projects so they're doing like right now they're built designing a treehouse it's an engineering design challenge that they have Um, so every day during advisory it's something different but we're constantly just building those relationships with our advisory class Mm. talk a little bit about how oh go ahead go ahead chris i was just gonna have her talk a little bit about um so having worked a little bit with the summit program with you guys, um, the fact that I, I really like how it kind of lends to personalization and differentiation, but also to that project-based stuff. What are some projects that you guys are doing? What are some cool things that you guys are doing in class, either that you have done or that you're looking forward to um, as far yeah. as PBL and that? Yeah, we're actually starting a new project on Tuesday when we come back from our long weekend. Uh, the kids have to answer the project question, what does it mean to have a good life? And so we're hmm. analyzing collection of nonfiction articles and doing some literary analysis with that. But then they are writing a podcast that they are then going to actually post. We're going to put them on QR codes and hang them in the hallway. So they're actually recording a podcast about what does it mean to have a good life. They have to have their claim and have their evidence and all those different things. Um, It was great. Last year, Chris came in and showed them his podcast and showed them how to do a vague podcast script and how to really engage your audience and things like that. Um, what I love about it is that the kids are going to do one recording with submit their recording. I'll give them feedback on that recording and then they go record it again. Mm, so it's cool. not a one time and done. They have to really improve their craft. I'm really excited for that. That'll be fun. And then in the spring, we're going to do another project where they get to design stop motion videos. So they have to write a short skit. We're going to read the book holes, watch the movie holes, compare and contrast the two. And then they have to write a short skit and actually animate it with stop motion video. So mm. we're bringing in that narrative skill of writing and dialogue and all that great stuff, but then bringing in the technology piece where they get to make their own movie of it. 
Very cool. I love that book. I read that book out loud to my fourth and fifth grade kids. I loved that book. I still use it all the time. Like the first one's always the hardest, <laughs> right? First hole's always the hardest. Um, talk a little bit about the, the structure of your, of your project-based learning. And what is the, the structure that you have in place? Like how long do you spend in say, do you, do you use a, a design cycle? Do you use a, a pro, what, is there a cycle that you use that you take kids through? Can you kind of talk about the design of the, of the problem-based approach that you guys use? Every project's a little bit different. Okay. Um, I would say with this project that's coming up, it's fresh on my mind because we just had a planning meeting. Yeah, so it's perfect. Um, the project that's coming up, we're going to that, pose that question to kids. We're going to have an entire exploration of what does it mean to have a podcast? What does it mean to answer these questions? Mm. Type thing. We're going to analyze those articles together. The cool part about how I do it is we have what's called checkpoints. And that's part of Summit-based learning, but it's or the Summit learning program, but part of it's just how I taught before I even had Summit, where we break down the project into pieces of it, and they have to get feedback on each piece of that project. So throughout this entire project they're doing, they're getting feedback on every single step. They're able to improve their craft, able to improve those skills. And then it ends up being this one culminating project at the end. Um, sometimes that's great for students because if they're working with their checkpoints, they're able to get feedback at every moment. Sometimes it's stressful for, you know, our sixth graders who don't yeah. realize they're important until they class. Um, doesn't happen very often, but it's actually great for kids to be able to get feedback on individual skills as they go throughout and then have this great project. Okay. I don't know if that answered your question. Yeah, but. so kind of here's so here's what I heard and let me know if this kind of because this is the thing I love is there are so many different ways that you can structure and uh, if you've listened to the podcast, you know, I'm really big on structures. You've got to have structures when it comes to learning, right? And so here's like, here's, the, here's what I heard you just say, even though it was, it went pretty fast. So the first kind of structure that, no, that's fine. The first kind of structure you put in place was an explore time. Like you give them a question and we have time to explore. What does that question mean? What does that look like? And along the way, there's constant checkpoints, which we call assessment, but we'll call them checkpoints, but you know, in the world, we call them assessment. Um, yeah. And then there's, and then there's a stage. So there's a stage of explore a stage of analyzing. So analyzing, what did you find? What is out there? Then there's a prototyping stage. And the prototype is the first time they record their podcast because it's a prototype. This isn't your final product. And then you're going to get feedback on that. That allows you then to go back again and create your final product. So then it's the creation stage. That's where you'd actually create your product. And then there's the publish stage where you're putting the QR codes. So your, your projects, that project that you have coming up really has five distinct stages. And the yeah. thing I love about project-based learning like that is if we can break those stages down for students and actually name those stages, and I don't know if you guys do this, but if you can name those stages for kids, then it gives them something to solidify. And they're the exact same stages we do projects in real life. You know, when you want to, when you need to mm -hmm. update your house or you need to fix your car or you want to go buy a new car, you go through an explore stage, an analyze stage, you go a prototype, it's called test driving, right? Like you go through all of these stages uh, that we do in real life are the same things we do in the classroom. And that's what makes it successful is, is having that structure in place with those constant checkpoints, right? There are constant checkpoints along the way. I love that. And what I really love, Jeff, is the point that you keep driving home, there's the constant checkpoints. And, and I've heard you talk about this a lot, in sessions I've been in with you and working with you, um, and it's something that I've worked with teachers a lot, is the idea that the constant checkpoints, if, if your 
if you're checking in with your kids, if you're giving them feedback, if you're giving them support and like, hey, let's, let's tweak this a little bit, this was awesome, let's do this, then there's no way they're going to quote unquote fail that project at the Absolutely. end, right? They're, 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 they're iterating, they're doing, doing all the work, they're prototyping, they're doing everything and you're giving them constant feedback. So there's no way that they're going to quote, get it, get it wrong, if you will. Yeah. Correct. So if, if you so are doing project-based learning correctly and a yeah. child fails at the end, that is on the teacher, not the child, yeah. because those checkpoints obviously were not set up to allow that student to go back and fix the prototype, go back yeah. and do more analyzation. You know, we were talking just a couple podcasts ago with Adam Pollock, where they make their kids spend weeks in the empathy stage. You know, the way they set theirs up is the first thing you have to understand your audience. And he goes, we, we force them to sit in that stage of empathy and really get to know who are you making this product for before you ever get started. And, and going through that constant, that, that constant checkpoint, that's what's different this time about project-based learning. It's one of the things I get with teachers. Is I, and I was, this was me as a teacher. When I started teaching in 1999, we did project-based learning before all the testing stuff came in. I'm lucky enough to remember a time before all the testing came in, right? And but what, what is different is when we did project-based learning back in the day, we would give kids a project, a big essential question. We'd wait six weeks and then we'd have to grade it. And we miss this checkpoint part that has become so critical. So as the pendulum is swinging back out of testing, which it is, into more of this project-based approach again, that's the update. That's the thing that makes this thing work because all of those checkpoints are different assessment pieces. Uh, Kenzie, can you kind of talk about what are some of those checkpoints that you use? Like the, so a script, a script before they ever record would be a checkpoint, right? Like you can, that's something yeah. you can test. What are some other ones along the way that you would say are these like checkpoints that kids have to have? Oh gosh, so this current project that we're going into, they have to um, analyze the word choice of the author and mm. the non they chose. And so that's one of the checkpoints is we break down every skill that I'm assessing them on their final product. I break that down and make it an individual checkpoint. So to every piece of the way I'm able to see exactly what skills they need to support on or what skills they're able to whiz through and keep going. Um, so I, I usually do that. I sit down, I look at the final product. I say, what do I actually want to grade on this? And then I backwards plan every mm. single checkpoint time I want to check in with a kid and see what skills they're able to do well, what they need support on, where they need mastery, things like that. So, so okay. So can you talk about some of the others? So talking about word choice, script writing, yeah, what are some of those other ones? Word choice, doing script writing, they have to have um, a checkpoint on their argumentative claims to what mm -hmm. they think to have a good life. They're having an argue, they're having a checkpoint on um, development. So they have to show how the articles that they chose are showing, are supporting the argumentative claim that they came up with. So uh, I think there's four or five checkpoints throughout this cool. entire project, which yeah. the project entire quarter. So they're having four or five different checkpoints from me before we get to the final products. Yeah, and see that was always the pushback on project-based learning before okay. was that you, six weeks into the school year, you still didn't have a grade in the grade book. <laughs> and, you know, and now you have these checkpoints that, that can become in some way become something you can put in a grade for parents to see that something's happening. Yes. Yeah. Well, and, and let's be honest too, Kenzie, those, those are just the quote unquote, the, the formalized checkpoints. You're checking with your kids all the time. Exactly. I know you, I've seen you work. Like, yeah. That's what teachers yeah. do, right? They're, they're out there yeah. and they're, they're checking in all the time. Yeah. Those are the yeah. more formal, formative assessments I have. I use Pear Deck in my classroom every single day. 
And so I'm constantly in live feed, seeing how every single kid is doing on the prompt, on their response questions, mm, on everything cool. that we do. And that's really awesome for me because I know in a minute exactly where every kid is at and if they need support. And I often pull my groups based on that data. So as we're doing our lecture on theme or whatever the lecture needs to be on and they're doing their quick checks on Pear Deck, I can pull kids that need that extra support in live time, which is so much more beneficial than them turning in something written. It takes me three or four days to get it back to them. And then by that time, hopefully I can get this to them yeah. or we can move to the next skill. You know? I love it. That yeah. live feedback is probably the biggest game changer I ever had in my classroom was using AirDeck in my classroom every day. Yeah, because it allows you to do that, right? You get this instant feedback in a prototyping situation, you know, mm -hmm. you, and that again is modeling real world. That's a transferable skill. What are some other tech that you use that you think makes this successful for you in your classroom? So you mentioned Pear Deck. Are there any other kind of tools that you use or that you think this is, these are things that for me just that I, I almost at this point need to have in order to make yeah. this work for me? Pear Deck is the top one. I have, okay. I don't know how to teach without Pear Deck anymore. That would be really hard for me. Awesome. Uh, I also love Flipgrid and I also yeah. really love the puzzle. Those ones are probably my top three right now. We okay. use this a lot. Just the kids absolutely love them. They love okay. quizzes. So we do quizzes uh, maybe a couple times a month. Maybe we do quizzes and it's the most exciting thing that could ever happen in this. Your kids classroom. like quizzes. Um, what, what is wrong with you? Your kids love, like quizzes. I know. I know. So it's this app. Have you seen it before? Quizzes? No. So it's kind of like, it's yeah. kind of like Quizlet, but better. And okay. so the kids, it's kind of like a mesh of Quizlet and Kahoot. Okay. In the same okay. Um, so it's just quick answer. They have multiple choice answers and they compete on the board and things like that. I really love the teacher reports that come out of it. And so I can get the teacher report at the end and see how kids are doing. I can send home a practice link. So I'll do that a lot with um, like key terms and things like that when they just need to get the key terms or those grammar lessons that everybody hates on a worksheet, I make it into something more fun. Uh, so kids absolutely, they beg to do quizzes. It's kind of ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And then, and then Ken's, you talked about, you mentioned um, Edpuzzle. Yeah. Yes. Jeff, do you know Ed? Yeah, I love Edpuzzle. Edpuzzle is yeah. fantastic. Yeah, that's yeah. another great one. Cool. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the flexible seating in your classroom. Why do you use flexible seating? What do you see as benefits to flexible seating? And how does that add into your project-based approach? So I came from elementary. And in elementary, you pull your kids to the carpet and you have your lessons on the whiteboard and then you send them back to their stations and things like that. That's just how elementary works. So when I came into sixth grade, I looked at the classrooms that just had kids sitting in rows and I said, oh my gosh, how boring. Like I couldn't do it. <laughs> I couldn't bring myself to make my kids sit in rows. So I really thought about the flow of my room. I have a smart board in my room. So I stand in the front of the room and run everything from my smart board or I run Pear Deck from my phone a lot. And so I realized that I don't need kids in the front of the room sitting at a desk. So I got those little Ikea tables, those little Ikea um, bedside stands that are like yeah. four bucks or whatever. I have a couple of those on the floor. I have giant floor pillows on the floor. And then the middle of my room, I do have traditional desks or tables. They're partner tables. They're not mm -hmm. desks. And in the back of the room, I have a standing table that my aunt actually built for me. She came in and had a kid stand next to it and measured how tall it needed to be and how wide for the <laughs> It, and she built me this awesome standing table in the back of my classroom. So I think about the flow in my room. I have my bookshelves in the back of the classroom, standing table, the middle of the classrooms, the more traditional seating with the tables, with the chairs, and then the bottom of the classroom 
bedroom next in front of the whiteboard is all that flexible seating on the floor with the floor pillows and the tables and things like that and then i have a bucket of clipboards everywhere i have cool. stools remember the cheapo ones from ikea again that kids can pick up and take wherever they want um, so I do that a lot. I have rotations where kids are moving around the room constantly. I have kids choose what they want to work on. So I make parts of the room a topic and the kids move to where they want to work. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty awesome. I think I might, my kids like it because after they come. <laughs> yeah, oh, I'm sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. So when my kids come from science, they have those stools in science and they have to yeah. sit with their backs straight the whole time. I'm like, can we sit on the floor? Go sit on the floor. I don't care how you say it. Fine. Yeah. You can sit on the floor. I love that. I might ask you, if you don't mind, uh, when you get to school tomorrow, maybe if you could take a picture or a short video of yeah. just kind of what your classroom setup looks like. Because this is something I'm getting more and more, especially at the middle school and high school level, uh, is teachers asking for, well, how, how can you fit? 30 teenage bodies in a classroom and still do flexible seating. So if you don't mind just taking a, a couple photos or if you want to do a quick video on your phone, walking around yeah. your classroom, kind of talking about it either way, I think that would be, I think teachers would, would love just to see uh, kind of how you have that set up. So I think that'd be very cool. Yeah, no problem. That's awesome. And, and it's really cool having worked in your class. Um, it just feels different. It, the, the kids love it. They're very comfortable with it. They get to choose what's best for them that day. Sometimes they're going to be standing. Sometimes they're going to be sitting on the floor. Sometimes at a desk. It's just, it's, it's, it's a great way to make them feel comfortable in their learning environment. And as an adult, Chris, you're walking in her room saying this room just feels different. Yeah. It's going to be yeah. the same for a kid, you know, yeah, who's coming from science, who has to sit up with their back straight the whole time. And all of a sudden you get to go into this room where you feel different, right? That there's yeah. something's different yeah. about this room. And that just, that's, yeah. That's the magic right there. You've got them hooked there. I mean, hooked so much they want to take quizzes. I mean, that's, that's how it works. Right? <laughs> how good is that? So, I love it. All right. Well, any any other questions, Chris, that you wanted to ask Kenzie while we have her? Um, no, I think we got it covered. Yeah. Everything cool. we had anyway. Yeah. Uh, so I have one more question. You uh, you're in a one to one school environment. Yes. And how, how is tech just, how do you view technology and its use in your classroom? Is it just uh, like, do you think about it or is it just for you? It, it's just kind of there and you use it and it like, so many schools are worried about going one-to-one -one and having kids on computers all the time and wanting yeah. to know, you know, I've got to know all these different programs that I have to use. What, no. what's, it, what's it like for you being in a one-to-one -one classroom? Really, I'm really passionate about blended learning. I still yeah. think that kids need real books in their hands. I still think that kids need to take notes on paper. I still think that brainstorming on paper is one of the best writing tools you can have. Uh, I still think that technology is important. What drives me nuts, and Chris and I have talked about this multiple times, is when I walk into a classroom and someone says, look at this shiny new website I found. Isn't yeah. it so cool, pretty? And I say, yeah, did it do anything for your kids? Did you yeah. get anything purposeful out of this shiny new website that you're showing me? But it's and free. It's free. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Kenzie, what's the question I always ask? What do you want the kids to learn and be able to do? Exactly. Exactly. Right. So I'm really about every piece of technology I put into my classroom and I show to my kids has a distinct purpose. If it doesn't mm. have a purpose and it's not valuable, then what's the point of wasting instruction time, which is already limited 
on yeah. showing them a website. What's the yeah. point? So and curious. so I also get really annoyed when people say, look, I put all of the worksheets for this entire chapter onto the classroom. <laughs> okay, you didn't do anyone justice there. You didn't do anyone favors there. You just replaced the already rudimentary tool that you had and put it on technology to make it look better. Uh, it drives me absolutely bonkers. So and then, I'm- And then complain that kids spend all day looking at a screen. Exactly. That's, that's yeah. my favorite. You know, kids today, they just look at a screen all day. Well, that's because you took every one of your worksheets and put it on a computer screen. Yeah. If you and left them as worksheets. Like, yeah. yeah. That's so cool. Well, uh, Kenzie, thank you for spending time with us. A fantastic. I so want to come visit your classroom. Uh, I, I just know that I'm going to walk in and it's just going to feel different. And I just love yeah. classrooms that you just, you just know uh, when you walk in that there's something special going on. If people wanted to reach out to you uh, to maybe have more conversations, what's a good way for them to reach out to you? Are you on Twitter? Uh, so any social networks that you use or what's, what's a good way for other teachers to reach out to you? Yeah, I am. I'm on Instagram. My Instagram okay. is just Miss Mun, M-I-S-S dot M-U-N-N. And then my Twitter handle is just Mackenzie Mun, M-C-K-E-N-Z-I-E, M-U-N-N. Awesome. Okay. I love it. Thank you so much. Kenzie is awesome. Thanks for having you guys. Yeah, yeah. thank you. Now my mouse isn't working, so I can stop recording. Get over here, mouse. <laughs> it is like it's jumping around. Come on, mouse. Hannah, I got it right here. Hannah, right. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Shifting Our Schools with your host, Jeff Udick. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit sospodcast.org, facebook.com slash Jeff Udick, and on Twitter at judick. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time on Shifting Our Schools.